Chapter 14 of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantine. Chapter 14 Crusoe's Return and His Private Adventures Among the Indians. Dick at a Very Low Ebb. Crusoe Saves Him. The means by which Crusoe managed to escape from his two-legged captors and rejoin his master require separate and special notice. In the struggle with the fallen horse and Indian, which Dick had seen begun but not concluded, he was almost crushed to death, and in the instant the Indian gained his feet he sent an arrow at his head with savage violence. Crusoe, however, had been so well used to dodging the blunt-headed arrows that were wont to be shot at him by the boys of the Mustang Valley that he was quite prepared and eluded the shaft by an active bound. Moreover, he uttered one of his own peculiar roars, flew at the Indian's throat, and dragged him down. At the same moment the other Indians came up, and one of them turned aside to the rescue. This man happened to have an old gun, of the cheap sort at that time, exchanged for peltries by fur traders. With the butt of this he struck Crusoe a blow on the head that sent him sprawling on the grass. The rest of the savages, as we have seen, continued in pursuit of Dick until he leapt into the river. Then they returned, took the saddle and bridle off his dead horse, and rejoined their comrades. Here they held a court-martial on Crusoe, who was now bound foot and muzzle with cords. Some were for killing him. Others, who admired his noble appearance, immense size, and courage, thought it would be well to carry him to their village and keep him. There was a pretty violent dispute on the subject, but at length it was agreed that they should spare his life in the meantime and perhaps have a dog dance round him when they got to their wigwams. This dance, which Crusoe was to be the chief, though passive, performer, is peculiar to some of the tribes east of the Rocky Mountains, and consists in killing a dog and cutting out its liver, which is afterwards sliced into shreds or strings and hung on a pole about the height of a man's head. A band of warriors then comes and dances wildly around the pole, and each one in succession goes up to the raw liver and bites a piece off it, without, however, putting his hands near it. Such is the dog dance, and to such was poor Crusoe destined by his fierce captors, especially by the one whose throat still bore very evident marks of his teeth. But Crusoe was much too clever a dog to be disposed of in so disgusting a manner. He had privately resolved in his own mind that he would escape, but the hopelessness of his ever carrying that resolution into effect would have been apparent to any one who could have seen the way in which his muzzle was secured and his four paws were tied together in a bunch as he hung suspended across the saddle of one of the savages this particular party of indians who had followed dick varley determined not to wait for the return of their comrades who were in pursuit of the other two hunters but to go straight home so for several days they galloped away over the prairie at nights, when they camped, Crusoe was thrown on the ground like a piece of old lumber and left to lie there with a mere scrap of food till morning, when he was again thrown across the horse of his captor and carried on. When the village was reached, he was thrown again on the ground and would certainly have been torn to pieces in five minutes by the Indian curs which came howling around him, had not an old woman come to the rescue and driven them away. With the help of her grandson, a little naked creature, just able to walk, or rather stagger, she dragged him to her tent, and, undoing the line that fastened his mouth, offered him a bone. Although lying in a position that was unfavorable for eating purposes, Crusoe opened his jaws and took it. An awful crash was followed by two crunches, and it was gone. 
and Crusoe looked up at the old squaw's face with a look that said plainly, another of the same, please, and as quick as possible. The old woman gave him another, and then a lump of meat, which the latter went down with a gulp, but he coughed after it, and it was well that he didn't choke. After this the squaw left him, and Crusoe spent the remainder of that night gnawing the cords that bound him. So diligent was he that he was free before morning, and walked deliberately out of the tent. Then he shook himself, and with a yell that one might have fancied was intended for defiance, he bounded joyfully away, and was soon out of sight. To a dog with a good appetite, which had been on short allowance for several days, the mouthful given to him by the old squaw was a mere nothing. All that day he kept bounding over the plain from bluff to bluff in search of something to eat, but found nothing until dusk, when he pounced suddenly and most unexpectedly on a prairie hen that was fast asleep. In one moment its life was gone. In less than a minute its body was gone, too, feathers and bones and all, down Crusoe's ravenous throat. On the identical spot Crusoe lay down and slept like a top for four hours. At the end of that time he jumped up, bolted a scrap of skin that somehow had been overlooked at supper, and then flew straight over the prairie to the spot where he had had the scuffle with the Indian. He came to the edge of the river, took precisely the same leap that his master had done before him, and came out on the other side a good deal higher up than Dick had done, for the dog had no savages to dodge, and was, as we have said before, a powerful swimmer. It cost him a good deal of running about to find the trail, and it was nearly dark before he resumed his journey. Then, putting his keen nose to the ground, he ran step by step over Dick's track, and at the last found him, as we have shown on the banks of the Salt Creek. It is quite impossible to describe the intense joy which filled Dick's heart on again beholding his favorite. Only those who have lost and found such a one can know it. Dick seized him round the neck and hugged him as well as he could, poor fellow, in his feeble arms. Then he wept, then he laughed, and then he fainted. This was a consummation that took Crusoe quite aback. Never having seen his master in such a state before, he seemed to think at first that he was playing some trick, for he bounded round him and barked and wagged his tail. But as Dick lay quite still and motionless, he went forward with a look of alarm, snuffed him once or twice, and whined piteously. Then he raised his nose in the air and uttered a long, melancholy wail. The cry seemed to revive Dick, for he moved, and with some difficulty sat up. To the dog's evident relief, there is no doubt whatever that Crusoe learned an erroneous lesson that day, and was firmly convinced thenceforth that the best cure for a fainting fit is a melancholy yell. So easy it is for the wisest of dogs, as well as men, to fall into gross error. Crusoe, said Dick in a feeble voice, dear good pup, come here. He crawled, as he spoke, down to the water's edge, where there was a level patch of dry sand. Dig, said Dick, pointing into the sand. Crusoe looked at him in surprise, as well as he might, for he had never heard the word dig in all his life before. Dick pondered a minute, and then a thought struck him. He turned up a little of the sand with his fingers, and pointed to the hole, cried, Seek him out, pup! Ha! Crusoe understood that. Many and many a time had he unhoused rabbits and squirrels and other creatures at that word of command. So, without a moment's delay, he commenced to dig down into the sand, every now and then stopping for a moment and shoving in his nose, and snuffing interrogatively, as if he fully expected to find a buffalo at the bottom of it. Then he would resume again, one paw after another, so fast that you could scarce see them going, hand over hand, as sailors would have called it, while the sand flew out between his hind legs in a continuous shower. 
When the sand accumulated so much behind him as to impede his motions, he scraped it out of his way, and set to work again with tenfold earnestness. After a good while, he paused and looked up at Dick with an, It won't do, I fear, there's nothing here, expression on his face. Seek him out, pup, repeated Dick. Oh, very good, mutely answered the dog, and went at it again, tooth and nail, harder than ever. In the course of a quarter of an hour there was a deep yawning hole in the sand, into which Dick peered with intense anxiety. The bottom appeared slightly damp. Hope now reanimated Dick Varley, and by various devices he succeeded in getting the dog to scrape away a sort of tunnel from the hole, into which he might roll himself and put down his lips to drink when the water should rise high enough. Impatiently and anxiously he lay watching the moisture slowly accumulate in the bottom of the hole, drop by drop, and while he gazed he fell into a troubled, restless slumber, and dreamed that Crusoe's return was a dream, and that he was alone again, perishing for want of water. When he awakened, the hole was half full of clear water, and Crusoe was lapping it greedily. "'Back, pup!' he shouted, as he crept down to the hole and put his trembling lips to the water. It was brackish, but drinkable, and as Dick drank deeply of it, he esteemed it at that moment better than nectar. Here he lay for half an hour, alternately drinking and gazing into at his own emaciated visage as reflected in the pool the same afternoon crusoe in a private hunting excursion of his own discovered and caught a prairie hen which he quietly proceeded to devour on the spot when dick who saw what had occurred whistled to him obedience was ingrained in every fibre of crusoe's mental and corporeal being he did not merely answer at once to the call he sprang to it leaving the prairie hen untasted "'Fetch it, pup!' cried Dick eagerly as the dog came up. In a few moments the hen was at his feet. Dick's circumstances could not brook the delay of cookery. He gashed the bird with his knife and drank the blood, and then he gave the flesh to the dog, while he crept to the pool again for another draught. Ah, think not, reader, that although we have treated this subject in a slight vein of pleasantry, because it ended well, that therefore our tale is pure fiction. Not only are Indians glad to satisfy the urgent cravings of hunger with raw flesh, but many civilized men, and delicately nurtured, have done the same. I, and doubtless, would do the same again, as long as enterprising and fearless men shall go forth to dare the dangers of flood and field in the wild places of our wonderful world. Crusoe had finished his share of the feast before Dick returned from the pool. Then master and dog lay down together, side by side, and fell into a long, deep, peaceful slumber. End of chapter 14